Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West Salt Lake City, Utah, joined by the big fellow, the chairman. Hello, folks. That's Brian Hunsaker, everybody. Yep. Glad to be with you today, Brian. There's been some volatility in the stock market lately. Yes, it's uh, good to be with you, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, everybody at home, volatility is the price you pay for what, Brian? For good returns. Amen. So embrace the volatility. Love it like it's your own kid. (laughs) Maybe not that much. Today, as I mentioned in the last podcast, we're going to talk about investing fads, ideas, investing ideas, products, um, industries that, that are hot, everybody loves them, that maybe have come and gone or maybe have not gone at all, but are still here. And we're going to do this under the theme of continuing last week's podcast of the probability of making money. We want to invest, and everybody knows our process if you've been in, in listening to this podcast, which is invest in good companies that have competitive advantages, great management, they're in industries we understand, and we can buy them at a good price. These fads may not fit that profile, which then leads to, Brian, a lower probability of making money. But here's the problem. People think that when they invest in them, there's a high probability of making money. And therein lies the problem. So I'm going to throw some, some investments at you, and we're not going to go in historical, you know, on a historical timeline here. But I'm going to throw, um, say, the tech bubble in the late 90s. Huge fad. Everybody investing in tech. Mm-hmm. Brian, that was, you, you, were, you were in the industry for a number of years before that. Tell, tell us about the tech, tech bubble in the 90s and why that was a fad. Yeah, the late 90s, uh, it seemed like markets just went up every day. and uh, They did. Yeah, they pretty much <laughs> And every year, and uh, it was a really, I mean, it's a good time to be an investor. There's no question. Um, sometimes I would look at what was going on and some of the valuations that, that investors were putting on some businesses, and I would scratch my head and like, how do you, that just doesn't make any sense. And uh, so I, I saw some, uh, a lot of speculation that made absolutely no sense. A, a, a quick little story. Um, we had I had a guy over at my house. This is back in the late '90s, and uh, happened to be anyway. It's not important why he was there, but he told me that he was gonna. He was a Hill Air Force Base uh, mechanic, worked on jets, I believe. He was about ready to quit his job and start day trading for a living. And I knew at that point it was There's it was getting close. There's a sign. <laughs> that was the sign. It was getting close to the market top. Yeah. Because at the time, you saw companies that had no business. Well, they didn't have any. I mean, had very little revenue, um, let alone no profits whatsoever. And not. And it was. I don't think you could identify um, an, a competitive, a durable competitive advantage with a lot of these businesses. They just like there was a company I think called Pets.com or yep. something like yep. that that they didn't have. It was just a business idea. Somehow they were publicly traded and. No, essentially no revenues, and and uh, it didn't take long for investors to sort of figure that one out. But with a dot com in the name, that's all it was. Just a dot com. You put a it, dot com. That's what people were looking for. Yeah, you put a dot com behind your name, and all of a sudden you get this big valuation. So the fad at that point was 
the rise of the internet boom, mm-hmm. right? Anything.com, boom. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go to the moon. And, and everybody thinking they were geniuses because of the returns they were making on companies that had no business trading where they were trading. Well, and the uh, investors were early to the idea that dot-com and internet, I mean, back then the internet was a lot newer than it is today. And uh, in a lot of ways, they were right about the direction of the internet, that it was going to be big and it was going to be very important. Um, But it was quite a ways off before businesses were really making money in that space um, at that point. And, and then there was a lot of businesses that just didn't make it. So that reminds me, Brian, of Bitcoin today. Yeah, it reminds me of that, yeah. Because there are thousands and thousands of coins right now. Seemingly a new coin coming out every day. Mm-hmm. And people putting money in these coins, you know, I'm going to put 20 cents, and all of a sudden they're up, you know, a thousand percent because that coin gets a good influx of money. And they think they're geniuses, which, hey, congrats. If you make the money, great. Hopefully you take it off the table and you, you, you realize the profit and you realize <laughs> what's happening. But how many in the Bitcoin space, similarly to the tech bust, the tech boom space in the late 90s, how many of these coins are actually going to make it? <laughs> Probably a handful. Probably just- Bitcoin. Probably two or three. Ethereum. I mean, you know, I've I've read in in certain industries, there's usually three or you know two to three, three to four different companies that can make it big in a sp- in a particular space, and then investors sort of lose interest, or the you know consumers lose interest beyond that. So there's probably going to be maybe a half dozen. I, I have no idea. That's not my area of expertise yeah. at all. Speculating, but it's it's yeah. really a speculation. I suspect there'll be just a few. Okay, so let's throw another one at you. Bitcoin, certainly a fad. And there's there's something that's going to tie all of this together that we're going to talk about. But you got Bitcoin. Right now you have the EV market, the electrical vehicle market. Mm-hmm. You have a, that, dozens and dozens of companies <laughs> that some have products, some have an idea, but everybody piling in because of the potential trends ahead. That reminds me, really, of the dot-com era. How so? The, the EV market. I think it's. I think eventually, yes, the EV market, batteries and electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles will be big at, at some point and uh, will be very profitable. And, you know, Tesla is uh, leading that charge, but I think there's going to be a lot of failed companies and a lot of uh, failed investments in that space. Um, it's really hard to identify companies that have durable advantages. And uh, so people are speculating and say, well, you know, I'm, maybe I'll put some money here and put some money there. And, and, but it really is speculation. The probability of making money when you're speculating is is far lower than having a process, a discipline process. Right. And, and that's what, you know, maybe we have clients that are questioning why we're not, you know, playing around in this space. And that's just not the way we do business. We are, we are not speculators. We try to buy, we buy businesses that are proven that have durable competitive advantages. They te- they tend to be, you know, larger because of that. And um, not necessarily more mature. I mean, we have companies that are still growing at a high rate, but uh, 
we're not looking for that speculative business out there that could be a home run or it could be a complete strikeout. So in the 1920s, after Henry Ford made the Model T, in the 1920s, I just did this a little bit of research. I couldn't even count all the car companies that that came out in the 20s. Hundreds mm-hmm. of companies came out in the 1920s. How many made it? Just a few, a handful. Just a few. You have your Ford, your GM, your Chrysler, a few others that came out and made it. So so many went out of business. <laughs> I, I think the tech bubble, the EV market, and probably Bitcoin as well. Very similar. All similar in, in our approach to being patient, meaning this. Why jump into the EV market right now when we don't know, besides Tesla, who is going to be around, number one, number two, who's going to have a competitive advantage moving out of this? So I tell people that are asking us about it, hey, we're okay missing the first third and capturing the next two-thirds. When, when this space, beca- when it becomes obvious or apparent, and, uh, you know, we're going to miss out on maybe some early gains, on, like you said, on some of these businesses. But when we, when we can identify a business that has a competitive advantage, you know, then, we'll, then we're interested. And, and, uh, but those early investments will be difficult to, to figure out who's going to be, you know, who are the winners are going to be. And we saw that in the in the early uh, stages and early years of the automobile industry. We saw it in the early, uh, if we go back, you know, a century or so, in the early stages of the um, airline industry, the aerospace yeah. industry. You know, Buffett always talks about, you know, a capitalist should have shot down Kitty Hawk because um, it was been a terrible investment. <laughs> Owning the airline industry yeah. is 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 a huge business, a huge industry, and uh, is. And has grown dramatically going back to you know the Wright brothers and Kitty Hawk, but investors haven't made a lot of money in the airline dis- industry. Now it's 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 gotten better th- uh, recently. The in- the industry even still it's hard, but it's still a very difficult industry. So I look at Amazon, for example, coming out of the tech boom, the tech bust, mm-hmm. right? Even Amazon at one point there was a fourteen month time frame to where the stock fell seventy percent in value. How many investors are going to hold on after a 70% drop? Unless you have conviction uh, <laughs> with that business. Even then it's hard. It's very hard. It's absolutely hard. Um, I've heard Buffett talk about, uh, just in Berkshire, uh, no, it wasn't Buffett, it was Munger. I think Munger was talking about how many times they've seen a 50-plus percent decline in Berkshire Hathaway shares over the years. It happens, and unless you yeah. know something about the business, you have conviction and don't realize that, that this is a solid business, solid company, and it's going to survive and do well in the future, I, I think a lot of people would be you know, likely to sell out of it. So with all these fads that we've mentioned, the key is being patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and ignore the the... I don't know, the neighbor making hundreds of percents on some crazy investment, right? The FOMO, the fear of missing out, put that to the side and focus on the probability of making money and compounding your returns over time. And you know how you, I mean, how you do that is you, you instead of thinking like a trader or a speculator, um, 
somebody going down to Vegas and, and putting chips on the table and see what happens. You become an investor, an owner, a business, business owner. owner yeah. that's, how, that's how you have to think about it. That's how I think about it. I think, okay, I own you know this business, and so I'm a business owner. And uh, and when I go into a business, I my my I hope to own it for a very long time. I hope to own it and never have to sell it forever. Right. I mean, I hope that's the case. Now, it's not always the case. I mean, it's, this is a dynamic world, and things always change, and and uh, circumstances can change. And so sometimes uh, we will sell a business or if we see an opportunity that looks better than another business or the business gets priced too high or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we might move out of a business. But if the business is doing well, um, we generally are inclined to, to uh, hold on to that business. So another fad that has me nervous, nearly 20 years of trading options, options trading volume is as high as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And I've heard from clients who tell me my nephew or my grandson or my neighbor, well, they're outperforming you in options right now. And they started trading options in June, maybe last year. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I've heard that that exact same thing. That scares me to death because they've known one market. And not only that, is they're leveraged. You look at, Robin Hood leverage, or or not, margin is the better way to put it, mm-hmm. on their accounts. A one standard deviation move in the market, which can happen, will annihilate too many investors to count, traders we, to count. Yeah, we we uh, we know of an investor that uh, sold was short uh, uh, puts a lot of puts on airlines and oil stocks um, right when coronavirus is starting. And he went on a cruise. <laughs> and when he came back from the cruise, guess what? His account was gone. His account was zero. And he had to come up with more money. His account was zero, and he had to come up with more money. Margin calls. He, no one could you know, no one could get a hold of him and say, hey, you need to do something here, and yeah. wiped him out. Yep. There's a right way and a wrong way to trading options. In any of the things that we've talked about. And sometimes the right way isn't the sexiest way. But when you're talking about the probability of making money and not risking money, which is the permanent loss of capital, you know, not that every trade we make in the options world or every investment we make is not going to lose money because we will have losers. But when you're talking about probabilities, doing it the right way, it's, it's the best way. Right. I mean, everything we do, including in options, we're, we're trying to minimize the risk, minimize the probability that we lose money. Now, it doesn't, the, that doesn't eliminate risk or eliminate the probability completely, but we're trying to minimize it as much as possible. And we think about, you know, businesses we understand, durable competitive advantages, good management, and a, and a good price, you know, a reasonable price for that business. All those things are pr- stacking the probabilities that we won't lose on this investment going forward. Yep. And then the other one is the patient side of it, being a patient investor and letting the business grow and build value over time. That's why time is your friend when you own a great business. Patience is your friend and gives you and improves your odds of success. When you have a great business, time and patience. When you have a 
it's mediocre business or you're speculating a business, you have no idea anything, really anything about it. You're your spe- buddy's doing it. Right. Time is can be your enemy. And uh, time is our friend when you own a great business. Oh, in the options world, the way that these Robin Hood traders are trading options, time is your worst enemy. Yeah. Right? In a, in a market, a three, four-month bad market will destroy a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, SPACs would be another fat investment, which we've talked about in this podcast before. One that I think has been around forever is the notion that gold can be an investment. Right. It's flat historically after you take in inflation. It doesn't help people unless you're absolutely perfect at timing it. Right. You got you to gotta get in it and out of it. You have to be right on both sides of the trade. Which is so Which hard. makes it hard. Which makes so it more hard. difficult and... Again, it, it, time is not your friend when it comes to gold because it's not a producing asset. It's, it doesn't produce revenue. It doesn't grow. And it's just you got to you got to sell it at, uh, when, at a higher price than what you bought it at. So, what do all these things have in in common? All of these investments and all these fads. It's a couple of things we've mentioned: FOMO, the fear of missing out, that drives a lot of it. But I'd say it's just the psychology of people who try to get rich quick who want enormous returns because they're seeing other people do it, which those other people probably aren't even doing it because no one talks about their losers. Everyone talks about their winners. It's that psychology. And people are prone to continue to make the same mistakes because of that psychology. You ever talk to a gambler? <laughs> oh, geez. I, I know a couple that go down to Vegas or jackpot or Wendover occasionally. And they always come back. Oh yeah, you know, I won a thousand dollars. I, you know, they always talk about, but they never, they never talk about when they lose money. It's always, you know, they always talk about their winners. <laughs> you know what's funny? You came to my office the other day and you said, "Hey, g- give me a lowdown on option trading. How's the options trading going?" Yeah, I said it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't lost a trade all year long until right now, and I have until two that. losers going right now, which I haven't closed out, but I probably will close out as a loss. Yeah. And I'm ticked. Yeah. And that's all I talked with you about. Well. For 45 minutes. And we have stocks in line with those, probably those yep, options. Yep. That <laughs> same kind of thing. That's that's all I think about is, you know, what am I missing on these businesses? Forget the the, the beating the market over the last 20 years in our all equity portfolio by 4.5%. It's right. our losers, right? And that's right. when you know people... You know, I knew a great trader in the options world. Tom Sosnoff was his, was his name. Started a couple of brokerages. Incredible trader. And, I mean, he made so much money trading options. But every time I talked to him, it was about his losers. <laughs> and that's when you know somebody's real. And that's well, completely different than all these fads you're hearing. Out well, there. that's where that's where you learn. That's where the learning lessons come from. Is when you fall down, you know, and it, recognize it. Yeah, in life, and we think this is not just an investing world. But it's in life. Well, you you get the most. You learn the most from your failures, and hopefully, hopefully, you do. And so you don't repeat them. Yep. Right. I mean, every. I mean, I can I can go back to every single investment of the last thirty years. I can name them, the one the losers and. Uh, yeah, and you hopefully you don't <laughs> hopefully you don't re- repeat those same you know those same, same mistakes. mistakes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, folks listening at home, 
again, it's all about the probability of making money. And sometimes the probability of making money and compounding your returns and accomplishing your financial goals means that you pass on the fads of the day, which we've talked about. And you be patient. And maybe you invest in them at a later time, but you be patient and make sure the probabilities are on your side. So with that, my friends, until next time, bye now. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.